Well, this morning, uh, as we continue in our study of the Gospel of John, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12 and verses 1 through 11. The Gospel of John chapter 12 and verses 1 through 11. That will be the passage of Scripture that we are going to look at this morning. Now, if you are visiting with us this morning, maybe it's the first time you've ever been with us, maybe you don't have a Bible, we want you to know that in the seats in front of you underneath them, there should be some Bibles there. You're welcome to use one of those Bibles. And if you're here this morning visiting and you don't own a Bible, uh, we want you to keep that Bible. That is our gift to you. We would love for you to have that to take home with you. And if you're watching by live stream this morning and you don't have a Bible, I always want to mention that most, maybe not all, but most of the verses that I reference are going to be on the screen, so you should be able to follow along easy enough. Just so we're all on the same page this morning, I know last week we had that excellent presentation for our Beacon of Hope ministry, and now we come back to our study in the Gospel of John, and we have just recently seen that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been dead for four days. He had been in the tomb for four days. And Jesus commands him to come out of the grave, and he comes out alive. And it is important for us to understand that it is the Gospel of John that emphasizes this miracle. This is where we find out about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And something else that we need to know As we work through the Gospel of John, that as Jesus comes toward the end of his life, this is his pinnacle miracle. The raising of Lazarus from the dead is considered one of the capstone mountaintop miracles that Jesus does. And when we were in the Gospel of John last, we saw that there are all kinds of different reactions to this great miracle. Some believe. And the word believe used at the end of chapter 11 is strong. It means they were genuinely placing their faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. This wasn't a fickle faith like we see sometimes in the Gospel of John. This was a strong faith. There is a mini-revival going on among the Jewish people in this area. So we see those who believe. Then we see those who reject those whose hearts become hardened by this miracle. The Jewish religious leaders at this point in the life and ministry of Jesus want to arrest him and to kill him. We need to know that as we move along because it will be very important. Their hearts have become so hard they want to arrest him and kill him. Then there is a third group that we talked about, and that is the curious And the curious have have always been there. They find Jesus fascinating, interesting, but they're not sure. Not sure where they stand. They're not sure whether they should believe or not. Not yet ready to make a commitment. And we need to remember as the people of God, the curious are all around us all the time. And that's why we continue to be faithful with the gospel Faithful was sowing the seed of um, our message of Christ. And so that brings us to our passage today. And in the first 11 verses of chapter 12, we read, Six days before the Passover, 
Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why? Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came. Not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Well, our first point this morning is beautiful worship. After raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus comes to Bethany, where a dinner was being prepared in his honor. In verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, there's an important little phrase there, and it's six days before the Passover. As you're reading along, maybe reading through the Bible or just reading through the Gospel of John, that's the kind of thing that you tend to just casually read over, but it's actually very important to the rest of the Gospel of John. This is six days before Jesus dies. Jesus is going to be crucified on the Passover. He's going to be the ultimate Passover lamb, the last Passover lamb, the one final sacrifice. And John is telling us that's only six days away. So everything else in the Gospel of John from chapter 12 all the way through chapter 21 is going to happen in approximately six or seven days if we include the events just right after his resurrection. So there are many chapters that give us a lot of details, intricate details about the very last week of Jesus' life. So we're not like years away from the cross. We're six days away from the cross in John chapter 12. So six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. He comes back to Bethany. Remember, he had been outside of the city. Now he comes to Bethany. Now, this account that we're looking at that especially focuses on the worship of Mary, this account is also found in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. And Matthew and Mark tell us that this takes place at the home of a man named Simon the leper. So this is not at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. This is at the home of Simon the leper. And so Jesus comes to Bethany. And we're told where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. This is very important to the passage. Very important to what's going to take place. 
So in verse 2, it says, So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. It says, So they gave him a dinner there. It was a dinner in honor of Jesus. It wasn't for Lazarus. It was for Jesus. The thought is, Jesus came to Bethany, so they gave him... So they gave a dinner for him there. It was a dinner where they had invited people to come to honor Jesus, this person that they loved so much who had just raised Lazarus from the dead. So the people who are primarily at the house are those who love Jesus, who are followers of Jesus, and they have come to honor him. And Lazarus was there reclining with him, with Jesus at the table, And then it says, Martha served. Isn't that interesting? Every time we see Martha, Martha's serving. She liked to be busy. She liked to be doing things. And you know, this passage that we're looking at this morning really focuses on Mary. But let us not forget Martha. This is how Martha showed her love and affection for Jesus by serving And I want to say this morning, let every church thank God for our brothers and sisters in Christ who have the gift of serving. You know, anytime the church has a fellowship or a ministry activity or something else going on, there are always those men and women who say, how can I help? Can I put up tables? Can I take down tables? Can I help in the kitchen? Who's hurting in our congregation? How can I go and help them? What can I do at their home? What, can, what food can I take to their home? There are always those people who step forward to want to do those things. Sometimes there are people who you might not find talking about deep theology and doctrine. They might not necessarily have the gift of teaching. They could, but these are people who just have a heart to serve. And boy, I'll tell you as a pastor, I thank God for those people. And they are so key to every church. And you know what's interesting about this passage? And so interesting as you study the Bible, when you read a passage over and over again, all of a sudden, something little stands out. And this stood out to me. You know what? The Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, could have easily left this out. He could have left those two words out and it wouldn't have changed the passage at all, but he didn't because I believe the Holy Spirit led him to put this here. Martha served. Martha served. She was honoring the Lord in her way. But the focus of this passage is really Mary. Mary, filled with an extravagant love for Jesus, engages in a beautiful act of worship. Verse 3 is the heart and soul of this passage this morning. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Filled with the fragrance of this perfume. Mary, and we remember from Luke 10 that Mary is the one who sat at the feet of Jesus just listening to what he said, just enthralled with him, sitting at his feet. And she takes a pound of expensive ointment. And now we know 
from words that we'll look at in a little bit from Judas Iscariot, that this ointment, this perfume, was worth 300 denarii. A denarii was a day's wage for a day laborer, so this was 300 denarii. Back then, that's a lot of money. A lot of money. This was very expensive ointment made from pure nard. And just to give you just a little bit of background here, you couldn't find this in Israel. This could only be bought from the camp, from the caravans of merchants who would ride through on camels bringing their goods and wares for you to buy. This kind of ointment could only be found in the Himalayas between Tibet and India. So it most likely came a long way away. And so she has a pound of it. And a pound was a lot. So she has a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Now you might be thinking, why does she have this expensive perfume just sitting around? It wasn't necessarily for her to use. Do you know why she had it? And again, we don't know all the specifics of this, but in this time in the culture, this was an important family investment. You know, today we have 401ks, we have stocks, we have bonds, we have things that we've set aside to protect our family financially for the future. Back then, they obviously didn't have those things. This is one of the things that you would have as protection for your family financially for the future. And keep that in mind as we go along. This is probably something that they had set aside to protect them financially for the future. So Mary takes this and anoints the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. She just so loves him that she takes this expensive ointment, breaks it open, pours it on his feet, and wipes his feet with her hair. Now, in Matthew and Mark, it says that she anointed the head of Jesus. It is very likely that she anointed the entire body of Jesus and then wipes his feet with her hair. So is this beautiful Perfume, this ointment runs down his body. It begins to drip off his feet, and she wipes it with her hair. And the whole house is just filled, filled with this beautiful fragrance. Now, I want you to kind of get the scene here. And ladies, I don't want you to be offended here, but I'm just going to tell you what the culture was like at this time. At a dinner... They would have a low table just above floor level. And the men would sit, recline at the table. The women would stand around the sides ready to serve or just to listen. And so with these low-lying tables, like if you were on the floor watching TV and you were on, laying on the floor on your elbow watching TV, that's kind of what it's like. They would recline with their feet out, okay, and Mary is back there listening, and we don't know all that happened, but for some reason at some point, she just becomes so emotional and overwhelmed with her love for Jesus, 
with her gratefulness for his salvation, with her gratefulness that he raised her brother from the dead, with the gratefulness of just knowing him as her savior. She just has this moment where she wants to worship him in the best way she knows how, and so she goes and she gets this perfume, this ointment, she breaks it open, she pours it on her body, and she does something that was considered totally inappropriate. When you were in the presence of men, especially in a dinner setting, women would always have their hair pinned up. She lets down her hair with men there. She lets down her hair and she wipes the dirtiest part of his body, his feet, because remember they always walked on dirt roads to get where they went, and she wipes his feet with her hair. This is extravagant love. I think Mary lost thought of whoever else was in the room. She didn't care. She didn't care if she embarrassed herself. She didn't care what other people thought. She lets down her hair and she worships Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair after anointing his whole body. Do you know what? Jesus says in Mark 14, this was a beautiful act on her part. Jesus says that. That's why our first point is beautiful worship. This is worship. She is just absolutely consumed with Jesus. We're going to come back to this at the end of the message. But our second point this morning is sinful hatred. Mary's beautiful act of worship is contrasted with the selfish, self-centered objection of Judas Iscariot and the hatred of the chief priests. In verses 4 and 5, and again, think of what's happening. Mary has broken open this perfume, anointed the whole body of Jesus, wipes his feet with her hair. Jesus said in Mark 14, this is a beautiful act that she has done. And then it says in verse 4, but Judas. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? What a waste. She's engaged in this beautiful act of worship, and Judas says, "What, What a waste. Now, in Matthew and Mark, it says that the other disciples joined with him. But John is the one who tells us that evidently Judas was the leader. It is Judas who actually does the speaking, and all he cares about is the money. And verse 6 gives us an important commentary on Judas at this point in his life. He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So he's going to betray Jesus. He was a thief. And he wanted the money from that perfume put in, sold and put into the money bag. Oh, he might have used some of it to help the poor, but he wanted it for himself. And you just think of this. This is all happening at the same time. Jesus is reclining at the table with Lazarus and probably other men. Mary 
engages in this absolutely beautiful act of worship. And Judas is only thinking about himself. So all he can think about is money. He's only thinking about himself. And his hardened, sinful heart is really being exposed at this point in the Gospels. But I want you to think of something very important with me this morning. Both Mary and Judas were followers of Jesus. Now, I believe Judas is the ultimate example of a false disciple, someone who can be among us, but not really believing. John MacArthur has a wonderful quote on this. He says this, How you can take two people who lived with the same Christ, walked the same steps, heard the same message, experienced the same love, And all of his miracles, and out of that same experience, have a Judas and a Mary is a mystery. And it must indicate the depth of sin in the life of Judas. How can you have that? Two followers of Jesus who for the last three years have walked with him, who have heard him teach, who have experienced his love, who have seen all of his miracles... And out of that same experience, you have someone who's just absolutely in love with him and someone whose heart has become cold and hard and all they can think about is themselves and money. How can you have that? Well, folks, it's not that hard because it happens in our church. And it happens in churches just like ours all over the world. People come to church They hear the same messages. They fellowship with the same people. They get involved in the same ministries. And some just absolutely fall in love with Jesus and draw closer and closer to him. And some actually grow cold and indifferent. And you know as well as I do, there are those who just stop going to church, those who stop believing altogether. Let me say to all of us, every single one of us, be very, very careful what you do when you hear the word of God. Be very careful what you do with it. Be very careful. If you find your heart becoming indifferent, kind of cynical, kind of calloused, kind of skeptical, beware. Beware. You can hear the same messages, be with the same people, and go in a very wrong direction. In verses 7 and 8, Jesus responds. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Jesus knew Mary's heart. And you know what, folks? That's all that really matters. He knows your heart. And if your heart is full of love and worship for him, he knows it. And he knew that with Mary. And he says, she's kept this. Is Basically what he's saying is, she's kept this for the day of my burial. There's a helpful thought. It's not on the screen, but in Mark chapter 14, Jesus says, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for my burial. And here's the thought. Mary was captivated by the teaching of Jesus. Jesus has already foretold, in essence prophesied, that he's going to be arrested, 
that he's going to be betrayed and that he's going to be handed over to the uh, Jewish authorities and to the Roman authorities, and they're going to crucify him. He's already foretold that. Mary knew that. She didn't know when all this was going to happen. She didn't know when the authorities were going to take him. And I think Mary thinks at this point, this is my chance to properly anoint his body for his burial. It's now or never. This is my moment to show him how much I love him. I may never get this chance again. And so she carries out this great act of love. And then Jesus says in verse 8, For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Some people have thought that Jesus was a little callous here, like, uh, forget the poor, you can always minister to the poor. He's not saying that at all. In fact, in a sense, he's exalting our need to care for the poor. Excuse me, to care for the poor. He said, you always have them with you again from Mark 14. This is how he says it. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. This is actually very important to us. Jesus, I believe, is strongly encouraging us to care for the poor. And that caring for the poor is a very important part of what the church does. But we have to be careful of why we care for the poor. We don't help the poor just to help the poor. We don't help the poor because we think it will help us earn our way to heaven. We help the poor as an expression of our love for Jesus. Because we love him and want to follow in his steps, we gladly, joyfully, always want to help care for those in need and care for the poor. Jesus is saying, caring for the poor is important, but loving me is even more important. Because if you don't love me, you won't care for the poor in the right way. Well, then in verses 9 and 10, we see those two different responses that I talked about earlier. We got those who are coming, those who are believing. Many of them are at the home of Simon the leper for this dinner. But in verse 9, it says, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So these are the curious again. And they're coming. Word has gotten around. This guy who was dead in the tomb for four days, and people are like, I saw him buried. I know he was dead, and now he's alive, and he's at Simon's house. Let's go see this guy. I mean, they're really curious. And remember, we just have to keep in mind, I mean, because we're so used to social media and the Internet and television. Back then, they didn't have any of that. You just heard it by word of mouth. And if you wanted to see this guy raised from the dead, you had to go there. And so people are coming from all over the place to see that this guy was actually raised from the dead. He's alive. And so they're really curious. So this ongoing curiosity all around them. But then we have those who rejected. Verses 10 and 11. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. 
I mentioned this before, but I think the Jewish religious leaders are in a state of panic at this point. A lot of people are believing in Jesus. They're going off to follow Jesus. It was a threat to their entire religious system. It was a threat to their entire way of life. And these men had become so hardened of heart, so wicked in their hearts, they now want to kill Lazarus. They want to arrest and kill Jesus, and now they want to kill Lazarus. And remember, these are the religious leaders of the people. And in their hearts, all they can think about is, we need to kill Jesus, and now we need to kill Lazarus. Well, as we come to the end this morning, I want us as a congregation to focus our attention on Mary's elaborate worship of the one she loved more than anything in the world. As we close this morning, I want to just give you four brief thoughts about Mary. First of all, she was filled with love and gratefulness. I mean, what would cause a woman in this culture to break all the acceptable norms, to be willing to do whatever it took to show her love and worship. She's just filled, filled with love and gratefulness. And folks, that's a good place to be. There's a lot going on in our culture and our country right now. A lot of complaining, a lot of griping. Man, let us be the people of love and gratefulness to our Savior. You know, I didn't plan it this way, but this is probably the perfect passage for Thanksgiving. This Thursday, we're going to gather with our families. Some of you are going to have family coming in. Some of you are going to be going to family. But I pray, my prayer for me, my prayer for all of you, let our hearts be filled with love and gratefulness for our Savior and all that he has done for us. Yes, there are things we're grateful for, but let us first thank the giver of those things that he has blessed us with. Second, Mary was not embarrassed to to publicly show her love and devotion to Jesus. Let us never be ashamed or embarrassed of our just deep love for him. You know, sometimes in our effort, you know, the burden we feel to evangelize others, sometimes we can be a little bit harsh, a little bit callous. You need to get saved. Okay? It's kind of this harsh gospel presentation. You need to get saved. You know what people need to see? They need to see that as we tell them about salvation, we're in love with Jesus. Let me tell you about the one that I'm in love with. Let me tell you how much he has loved me. Let me tell you how much I love him. I want you to love him too. Here is how you can come to know him as Savior. Don't be afraid to let people see that side of you how deeply in love you are with your Savior. Number three, always remember this. Mary didn't even think about the cost. The cost of that ointment wasn't important. No, she knew it was expensive, but nothing's too good for Jesus. Nothing's too good for Jesus. She forgot all about saving for the future, and she just took it and she gave it to Jesus to express her love 
and her affection. Very emotional time. Folks, you know, as a church, we emphasize sound doctrine. We emphasize biblical theology, and we should. But if that sound doctrine and that biblical theology doesn't lead us to warm, full-hearted affection and love for Jesus, then there's something wrong with our teaching. There really is. Good theology and sound doctrine should always lead us to hearts that are full of love and affection for our Savior and for the people that he loves. And then number four, I just want you to go away today thinking that Mary was totally consumed with her Savior. Again, in that house, she didn't care what they thought. She didn't care what other people were thinking. One writer said this, it was almost as if everybody else in the room just faded away. I love that. It's like everybody else in the room just faded away and she was totally consumed with Jesus. So here's a suggestion for Thanksgiving for all of us. My suggestion, my challenge is this. Go home and read this account in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12. So read Mary's anointing of Jesus in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John chapter 12, and then pray this prayer. Read it deeply. Read all three accounts deeply, and then pray this prayer. Lord, help me to love you like Mary did. Lord, help me to love you like Mary did. Let's pray. Father, That is our prayer. Give us the kind of love that Mary had for Jesus. Strip us. Strip us of selfish pride. Strip us of the fear of man so that we might openly proclaim our love for Jesus and joyfully tell others about him. Father, this Thanksgiving, fill our hearts with gratefulness for all that Jesus has done for us and all that he means to us. In Jesus' name, amen.